Welcome to She's Got Soul, Journey of the Mother Women podcast. I am your host, Paloma, psychologist, neuroscientist, primatologist, movement instructor, and mindfulness coach. A woman in her flow knows what she wants, feels empowered and free, and lives in the natural state of high vibration she was born to embody. This is what this show is about, a call to all women whose purpose is to express their creativity and sensuality, who are ready to experience life from a place of alignment and connectedness. In today's episode, we will talk about the mind-body-spirit connection within the self and with others, about narcissistic abuse and emotional abuse in general. We're going to dive deep in topics such as boundary setting, self-trust, and self-acceptance. We will talk about relationship dynamics, how to break unhealthy cycles, how to identify and break patterns, how to regain our power back, and so much more. For this, I have with me today Sydney Hausberger, registered associate marriage and family therapist at Sage Holistic Health and Wellness Center in Orange County, California. She's a PhD student in mind-body medicine, specializing in integrative mental health and integrative and functional nutrition. She is passionate about holistic health and brings this into her work with clients. She's also a certified clinical trauma counselor and her areas of specialty include working with survivors of narcissistic and psychological abuse and working with women on self-esteem issues, imposter syndrome and reconnecting with the mind, body and spirit. I can tell she feels empowered in the work that she does and it is beautiful to see her purpose and her joy when helping people along their healing journey. I had so much fun having this conversation and I have no doubt that you guys are going to take something of value out of it. So keep on listening as we dive right into it. Hi, Sydney. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, of course. Um, I shared a bit of what you do with the listeners, but I would like to hear your personal journey that brought you to do what you currently do. And when did your relationship with holistic healing start and why did you choose it as an approach when working with clients? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that started pretty early, like in childhood. Um, there was some mental illness in my family, um, to people that were close to me, you know, my, my twin brother, you know, he was struggling with some stuff. And so it kind of led me, this was in high school. And so I started researching what, you know, depression was, what, what does one do to help and all this stuff. And it kind of led me through what psychology is and all that stuff. And that's how I became interested in it. And I just really wanted to understand more and how to help people. And that's pretty much what led me to marriage and family therapy in general. Mm -hmm. um, the holistic side of things is because my dad was, he's been sick ever since I was six years old. Uh, he has Crohn's disease, among a few other things. And he, you know, really, he was just very sick. He's, he still is, but it was, you know, of course, really bad when it started. And 
it seemed that everything that the doctors gave him or tried was just making him worse. And so my mom has always been into holistic healing and always into herbs and just alternatives. And so she was the one that decided to take matters into her own hands and just heal him herself. And so she started researching different herbs and supplements that would help him. And everything she tried seemed to make him so much better. And he was he was doing okay on that stuff. Um, doctors couldn't believe that he was getting better because, you know, they they were trying to put him on this medication, but instead it was these herbs and supplements my mom tried that was actually helping him. And so it just got me so fascinated in the field and just, you know, it's so amazing what the body can do when you just give it support and mm -hmm. give it what it needs to heal itself. It's really just amazing stuff. And so, um, and then also just starting off in this uh, field of marriage and family therapy, I haven't been in it that long. I'm still an associate. So I just graduated and now I'm getting my hours for licensure. Mm -hmm. um, but just being in the field for a bit, I noticed how limiting it can be just doing talk therapy. Um, there's so much more to it. You know, there's health, nutrition, there's different lifestyle factors. And I felt like I couldn't comment on any of those things, you know, practice outside of my scope because you were taught not to do that. We're not really taught any of the holistic side in school, in the MFT program. And so, um, yeah, I just, I wanted more. I knew that there was just so many parts to holistic health and wellness. And so it just led me on the journey to, I'm in a doctorate program now in mind-body medicine and pursuing just further education on it. And I'm just so passionate about it. And yeah. That's beautiful. Have you actually, do you practice holistic healing with yourself? Or... With myself? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm my own little guinea pig. I try everything on myself, anything <laughs> I learn. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to try this, see if it works. Mm -hmm. Um. Same with my mom. She's also in school for something similar. And we're just constantly trying things with each other. Like, oh, I heard of this supplement and it could help you with this. And so mm -hmm. it, it's been fun, but um, I haven't yet gotten to try most of the stuff I've learned with clients. Um, mm -hmm. I'm also kind of that person that likes to practice in my scope. And so I want to wait till I have I guess further education because I just started the program and my degree before I can say I do this, you know, but I do practice in a way that is holistic. I do incorporate mind, body, spirit, all of it in my practice. And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm a neuroscientist and I was taught also from super cognitive side of the field and it was when I actually quit everything and went to Indonesia that my vision expanded and I started getting to know more about uh, this holistic approach and how our body has everything it needs to mm -hmm. just heal itself and it's beautiful. I've seen that you talk about people pleasing and overfunctioners and empaths and as an ex-overfunctioner, <laughs> I'm interested in your insight uh, on manifesting this tendencies within within especially in a relationship or even in the first stages of dating um, because in my past for example I somehow tried to raise my partner being always the responsible and mature one to the point of devoting so much energy to that that I lacked of energy for myself and, and my own growth and obviously 
I've worked through it, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I still uh, find it like challenging, um, especially like this, the boundary setting to, to protect my, my energy and understanding that my partner is an adult and that he has <laughs> the consciousness of making his own choices. And um, sometimes this motherly energy or behavior comes out from wanting to protect oneself to prevent the partner to do something that might harm our self-esteem. So, whereas if you set clear boundaries, there is no need to do so as the partner is going to either respect them or, or not to do so. And if it's the second one, it's either your chance or the chance for the couple to navigate and grow from the experience or red flag in a way like, okay, this person is not ready or doesn't have the awareness to respect one's boundaries. So we might want to move on. So. As I, as I was saying, my, my question is, if you can give the listeners some tips on how to take care of our own energy and how we can apply these in our day-to-day -day life and how we can identify these tendencies quicker so we can also shift the way we operate that might be draining us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally resonate with what you said. I am an ex people pleaser, over functioner, all that stuff. And mm -hmm. as an empathetic person, it's it's fairly common, you know what I mean, to want to take care of other people. <clears throat> um, people pleasing basically is just the pattern of thinking and behaving that prioritizes other people and their needs and their thoughts before our own. And so it's kind of just in a way, I kind of do identify it as self-sabotage because we're really just shutting down, okay, what are my thoughts? What are my needs? They don't matter because I'm putting this person first. And like most things, and I'm probably going to mention this a few times, um, it starts off in childhood. You know, it's kind of just what we learn through our parents, through our caregiver attachments. And it's, you know, it's when we're taught that we will receive love if we are putting other people before us. And so maybe our parents weren't emotionally regulated or maybe they just, they didn't get the support that they needed. And so they turned to their child for that support that they never got. And so from a young age, the child takes on essentially their, the caregiver role, you know, for their parents. Mm -hmm. And that's not what they're supposed to do, but that's how they're, what they're taught and that's how they receive love they're like oh okay when i you know take care of mom or i make sure mom's okay and i focus on her instead of myself then i get the love and support that i want and so that's just how it goes that's just how we learn what's normal and so people pleasing kind of just develops through that through the the you know desire to help everyone else before ourselves and there's a clear distinction between empathy and people pleasers. And so it's just being mindful of how far am I going with this? Am I disregarding my values and beliefs to please this other person? Am I, you know, neglecting my needs just to make this person feel seen and wanted and worthy, you know, and whether they're making me feel the same way or not. And so it's just being mindful of and being aware of is this people pleasing you know what I mean I think once we're able to uh, recognize our patterns and kind of label them that's when mm -hmm. true healing can start because then we're like okay I'm aware that this is my issue what steps can I take now to work through it and so 
of course, the first thing to do is boundary setting. And this isn't very easy for most people to do, especially people pleasers and empaths who don't want to hurt other people's feelings or don't, you know, they don't want to have people mad at them or hate them or whatever. They just want to avoid those uncomfortable feelings of being disliked. And so it can be very hard to set boundaries, but, you know, it's just by understanding like, okay, does this person that's placing these demands on me, do they actually care about me? Is it reciprocated ever that, you know, their needs, that my needs or wants are being met? Um, and if it's not, if it's like a boss at work or something that's constantly asking you to do things and disregarding you, then that's clearly someone that does not care for you or your boundaries. And then that's that's the type of person you have to set a boundary with. Like, no, I'm sorry, I can't do this or I can't work uh, over time because I did that last week and I'm exhausted and this wasn't in the job, job description. And that's just, I don't need to do this. You know what I mean? So understanding that sometimes we do get friends or partners and people in our lives that do care for us and they do ask us for things, you know what I mean? That's different from people that are constantly just taking advantage of you and they know that you're a chronic yeser almost, that you will say yes to everything. And so just being mindful of that and setting boundaries with those people that clearly don't respect, you know, your needs. Um, prioritizing yourself in general, just before looking to see who else you can help, why not turn inwards and say, what do I need? What what is it that I actually feel about the situation? You know, no one's going to listen to you if you don't listen to yourself. We treat people how to treat us or teach people how to treat us based on how we treat ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so by prioritizing yourself and practicing saying no and just being assertive in your communication and putting yourself first, you know, it teaches people that they can't take advantage of you and they shouldn't and that you're a person with needs and beliefs as well and that's valid. And so it's it may be difficult. I think it's a lot of small steps to go to get mm -hmm. to a place where you're no longer like chronically people pleasing. Um, but it is important work that needs to be done. It's also inner child healing, I feel, you know, reparenting re yourself and understanding that you matter your needs are valid and they should be met with or with like without um like what's the word <laughs> without conditions mm -hmm. like without you don't have to make an excuse for saying no saying no is enough you don't have to say no because you know you don't have to just exactly it. yeah <laughs> while you were saying that something came to my mind it is also a fact that when we allow ourselves to enter in these toxic cycles or like people pleasing because I'd say that we um, forget that we forget about ourselves because uh, our energy goes so much either into the relationship or the work or whatever to the other person that we don't pay attention to our needs that you were saying but this has an effect that it's that we become disconnected from ourselves so it's kind of like um, the more disconnected from ourselves we become the less we can also connect with another person, like with our partner, for example. So as we don't know what our needs are in the first place, so we cannot communicate it. How can we identify that we are facilitating this separation and feeding this unhealthy relationship based on codependency instead of 
on love because it's, it's what happens, right? When we disregard our needs, we stop loving ourselves, we take care of the others before ourselves and we slowly depend on, on the other, etc. So how can we take responsibility um, in the creation of this cycle? I, you know, you mentioned the boundaries, but from this understanding of, okay, the, the more it's, it's not even worth it for us because the more we try to connect with another, the more disconnected we become from ourselves and thus the less we can connect with this other. So how can we repair this situation, these dynamics? Yeah, so I know that this is a common phrase lately, but it's it's about dating yourself. I It's such an important concept because we are so quick to get into relationships and have our our other half and our, you know, our person and they, this person is supposed to just be loving to you. They're, they're supposed to give you the love and support and all the stuff that you need. And just like you said, like we, then once we're in these dynamics, we often disregard that within ourselves. We often just put the other person first, or we just, you know, completely are focused on that other person and not ourselves. And so with anything, this is just constant work. This is something we are always having to do in any relationship that we're in is constantly remembering to turn inward and ask yourself what you're needing. Are your are they being met your needs? Are your, you know, is this a happy situation for you? Do you feel respected in your relationship? Whatever, just learning more about yourself and understanding like, that you are a separate entity and you are whole and all of that by yourself but this person is a lovely addition to your life you know understanding that you will be more than okay on your own but also being you know you can be grateful of course for this person in your life and so but it's it's just kind of reminding yourself that you are whole you are okay you are your own person and you are the one that you need to take care of first first and foremost, before anything. And that does involve the mind, body, spirit connection, just being aligned with all of that, every single part of yourself. Um, the best way to do that is through just uh, just checking in with yourself, doing mind or, yeah, mindfulness activities, breath work, movement, just anything that gets the body moving, anything that you do with your body helps to reestablish the mind-body connection. Um, eating healthy foods, nutrient-dense foods, these are all healthy things that are also helping you reconnect with the body, lifestyle changes in general, um, checking in with yourself and what are your spiritual practices? How are you honoring your, your soul, your spirit? How are, connect with your inner child, you know what I mean? What are they needing? And if you're finding yourself in codependent patterns, where did this come from? How did, you know, how did this develop? And how can I reparent myself in a way that honors myself and honors my relationship, but understands that, you know, I matter and I come first and then this relationship can be, can flourish, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's just, again, it's, it's constant work. We have to do this in every relationship we're in because it can be so easy to lose ourselves and to, fall into the relationship dynamic where the relationship is the I and you as a person is no longer I. You are completely identified with the relationship. So just remembering that those are two separate things and they're both equal, they're both important, but 
the I, you come first. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I like uh, what you the tips that you gave us um, or practices to reconnect with ourselves because usually people think that connecting with oneself is just sitting in meditation and a lot of people don't know how to do that or we have we haven't learned how to do that so i like your tips and also you said something you said lose yourself right um this self-abandonment concept that i would like to explore a little um <laughs> there is a lot of like don't abandon yourself to keep someone else and stuff like that on in the media uh, the false belief that therefore if we are perfect for another they want abandoned us um which perfection doesn't exist in the first place but right there is this other side of the coin which is like choosing to abandon or self-sabotaging a relationship before they reject us i mean this shows especially in i don't like to say people but rather in in stages of our lives in which we feel unlovable for whatever reason and we push people away out of this fear of abandonment as we don't feel worthy enough so can you talk a little about the fear of being abandoned and why do we choose to self-sabotage in in the two cases so sometimes we fear this we want to have the control of being the ones who push away people and other times it's um, we self-sabotage if you mm -hmm. can tell us a little about this dynamics yeah so self-abandonment is basically the like the idea that you don't trust yourself mm -hmm. there's a there's a lack of trust in the self you don't trust your instincts um there's just a disconnection with the self with your mind body spirit you're an overthinker you let people this is a pe people pleasing tendencies again you let people make decisions for you it's just for some reason you don't trust yourself you can't make your own decisions and or if you do make decisions they're not valid mm -hmm. you know so you have to have other people make decisions for you um this is often linked with shame in some way and this is another concept or another pattern that develops from childhood so again this is us learning that we put the caretaker first and then we can get love or we let them rely on us for their needs because they didn't have that connection in, in childhood either with their parents. Um, and so, you know, this is just something that we continue and repeat because this is how we know love or we just, we feel unlovable and we, you know, abandon the self and we will conform into whatever a partner is wanting from us because, oh my gosh, someone finally loves me. I didn't think that was possible. So now let me just abandon my everything, my thoughts, my values, my beliefs and be the perfect person for this partner. And so it's just a lack of a lack of trust in the self, a complete disconnection with the self. And when we do like self-abandonment is done through self-sabotaging acts, such as staying in relationships that aren't healthy for us, even though we were just in pain or we know that this is unhealthy and it's not gonna go anywhere, but we stay in them because it's familiar, you know, it's, we're comfortable in that, or it's constantly making excuses for the person and their behaviors or just anything. It's procrastination. It's acting in ways that validate your fears. Self-sabotaging is a way it's, I, I don't, I don't know if it's more unconscious or conscious. I guess it could be both, but for the most part, it's unconscious that we 
do these things to validate what we feel. So for instance, we could constantly pick fights with our partner because we have the belief that, oh, they're going to leave me anyway, or I'm unlovable. And maybe one day they'll wake up and see all my flaws. And so we pick these fights with them and, and we're kind of just, uh, manifesting these these doubts that we have it's self-sabotaging behavior we're putting ourselves in positions for this person to leave us because then if they leave us that validates what we felt like see i was right i am unlovable and so it's just it comes down to a disconnection with the self and i feel like most of healing is just turning inward it's that inner child work it's understanding where these patterns came from it's you know, why do we have such a fear of abandonment and rejection? Did did mom or dad reject us as children? Or did we experience this in childhood friendships or, you know, things like that? Um, Self-sabotage is also a way for us to gain control, you know, in the situation. We, as humans, don't like to feel uncomfortable. We also don't like to feel like we're out of control. And so self-sabotaging kind of gives us our control back it's it puts the situation in our own hands even though you're doing something unhealthy like picking fights with your partner for no reason you're still kind of in control and you're you're able to validate the feelings that you have deep down and so yeah it's it's an interesting concept, you know, and it's interesting to look into and understand why we do this. And once you understand the why or just are aware that you're doing this, then the healing can start. And then it's about turning inward and giving yourself the things you didn't receive from your caregiver, maybe, or just things that you're lacking for some reason and just reparenting yourself. I think that's a big part of the work that we have to do when it comes to any sort of disconnection with the self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at the end of the day, like the subconscious mind is going to choose what is familiar, right? So if you have the limiting belief or the idea of that you're unlovable, actions are going to support that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to act from a subconscious space rather than being mindful or more thoughtful on your actions and aligning uh, with your values and in relation to that we can also talk about shame as we experience that when we don't operate from a space of integrity what is your opinion on how we can heal from shame would you agree that practicing self-compassion can be helpful yeah uh at first i do agree it's self-compassion can help heal shame. There's plenty of reasons why we feel shame. You know, it can be just a number of reasons. Childhood experiences, again, trauma of some sort, rejection, abandonment, neglect, anything like that, or just growing up and growing up in society that, you know, makes us feel like we're completely different from normal people. And so we shame ourselves for it. And so it's just turning inward again and understanding that you know there's you are a unique person you are special you're exactly who you you know who you need to be everything you need is inside you like you there's no reason to i guess when it comes to the comparison in social media or not social media society you know 
that sort of shame. There's no, you know, there's no need for any of that. And it's understanding just how special you are as a person and self-compassion. It's a difficult practice. Um, and it's kind of interesting to me, the concept of self-compassion and that it's such a big thing right now, like how to, how to cultivate it. And self-compassion is literally just treating yourself with kindness. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so that's why it's so interesting to me that this is like, we often wonder like, how do we do that? How, like, do you have tips? And I ask, you know, I look into this stuff too. Like, how do I do it? Because mm -hmm. I, there's plenty of times where I'm not <laughs> nice to myself mm -hmm. either, you know? And so, but it's so interesting that it's literally just being kind to yourself and treating yourself with love. And um, I think something that helped me in this was looking at the way I talk to myself and I treat myself and asking myself, if I were to treat or talk to my best friend like this, would they still be my best friend? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if I said the same okay. things that I say to myself to them, and if the answer is no, then that lets me know, like, okay, obviously the things I'm doing or saying are not healthy or helpful and are not kind. And why am I not being kind to myself? You know, like there's, there's no reason for that. And again, you treat people how to, you teach people how to treat you. And so by being kind to yourself, other people will begin to be kind to you as well. Otherwise, if you're sitting there and hating yourself, that's, you know, you're kind of manifesting that other people won't see your your worth or your value either. And so practicing self-acceptance, just learning to accept every part of yourself as difficult as it is. And I, I am still doing this work. I still struggle sometimes with it. You know, it's hard, but just understanding that you, every part of yourself, it's okay. You are who you are and you're so unique and you're so special for, because you're unique. It's beautiful, you know? And so just learning to accept each part of yourself. And uh, part of that is reframing the things that you say to yourself. And um, instead of saying, instead of jumping from a negative statement to a completely positive statement, we won't really believe it if it's like that. So if I said like, oh, my hair is ugly and suddenly switch it to like, oh my gosh, my hair is just perfect. I love it so much you know, we're not, it's going to be more difficult to believe that. Whereas if we go to a more neutral statement to start off, instead of saying like, oh, I hate my hair, it looks bad to saying something like, oh, I have hair. And I'm so grateful that I have hair. And, you know, I can always change it up and do something new with it. But I'm so grateful I have hair. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just something neutral like that, not a little lie to tell I mean if that's what works for you is saying going from negative to positive then by all means but I know for most people it's neutral statements it's reframing to something that's just not negative just a little better you know that can be helpful in taking small steps towards self-compassion um, eliminating things that trigger your negative thoughts can also be helpful such as if you are someone who compares yourself a lot on social media or to things you see on TV, just unfollow accounts, stop mm -hmm. watching that show, <laughs> like just don't watch TV, whatever it is, like understand what makes you feel down about yourself, understand your triggers and avoid them. You know, it's just 
you have to take these steps to put yourself first and to understand that this is not healthy for you and this is why you're having these hurtful thoughts of yourself, you know, and just trying to do, take steps to work through that and to, you know, take, get away from anything negative that's causing you to have these thoughts about yourself. Um, another big part of self-compassion is just self-forgiveness, forgiveness for just anything and everything, forgiving yourself for thinking these thoughts, you know, because for some reason at one point these thoughts you know they manifested and you had these thoughts and they i don't you know i was gonna say they might have been helpful at the time i don't know if they were really that helpful but they could have been helpful at a time for some reason and just honoring that okay these thoughts are no longer serving me these are not healthy thoughts they're not helping me in my situation i forgive myself for having these thoughts or for believing other people who made me think this way about myself but it's time for me to have new thoughts develop some new healthier thoughts so just forgiving yourself for just any all the negative behavior because it's human we all do it at some point you know we can't always be just in love with ourselves most people aren't at least mm -hmm. and so um yeah just practicing being kind to yourself and loving yourself and just being gentle with yourself. I think that's really important, especially when it comes to working through shame. Absolutely. And, but especially as women, <laughs> we are so compassionate mm -hmm. sometimes that um, when somebody is treating us not right or not respecting our boundaries, at least I found myself in this trap, right? That uh, I got caught up in this compassionate state, let's say, and I used to forget about this, the compassion towards myself. Why would we tolerate certain behaviors when if we accept ourselves fully and we do not have this fear of being abandoned as we know our own worth, why sometimes as women mostly uh we stay in relationships that no longer serve us mm, okay. and, and maybe it's a justification that we do in our heads that it's because oh we're so compassionate i feel bad because i understand where he's going through and what, what are your comments on on it yeah i mean i think this is just social conditioning we are we as women are taught to be the nurturing ones the care the caretakers in the family the ones that you know, we were taught at one point in society to put our husband's needs first or our partner's needs first and then and the kids and then ourselves. And so I think it's just kind of ingrained in that role when we're not conscious of it is to just uh, kind of abandon ourselves and put other people first because that's the role of the mom is what we were taught or the wife, you know. And so even if we are self-aware of ourselves and um and have a good connection with ourselves, you know, those types of people are the ones that are the perfect uh, target for manipulative individuals. The person that is mm. secure with themselves, that has something going for them, that they, you know, they're confident, they, they know their worth. That is the prime target for like a narcissistic individual mm -hmm. or someone who's manipulative. That and empaths, you know, but those two are usually, mm. uh, together when you're in especially for women and so 
the reason is because the manipulative manipulative person they're often driven by such low self-esteem and so they look at someone who has a good sense of self some high self-esteem you know they they are good connected with themselves and this manipulator wants that they want what this person has because they don't have that deep down they like to act like they do and front like they are confident especially those you know the narcissistic individuals but deep down it's this sense of shame this lack of self that they that guides them into relationships with these people then they start using their manipulation tactics such as gaslighting and just trying to get control over the partner and slowly they start breaking down their partner and then they lose their sense of their self-esteem their sense of self all that stuff and so you know we can get stuck in these cycles especially even if we you know through this through the um relationship if we still are able to maintain our sense of self we begin to we get stuck in these situations you know what i mean whether um you're aware of the red flags and you're wanting to leave but this partner is just making it absolutely difficult maybe there's physical abuse involved maybe they're making threats to the children financial abuse maybe they took all the money and you have literally no way of escaping they could have started what's called a smear campaign where they turn everyone in your life against you essentially and have them mm-hmm. take the you know the manipulator side mm-hmm. and so they you you know most women get stuck in this situation because they either because of that even if there's someone who is self-aware and is ready to leave but they are not able to now because of their partner or it's individuals women who aren't aware of what's going on or maybe they are aware but not not really about what psychological like they don't really know what psychological emotional financial abuse that kind of stuff is and so we can get stuck in that pattern and especially as empaths who want to take care of people i got stuck in this pattern with a narcissist and it's because i was so empathetic and i was like oh my gosh like okay i i know why he is this way i get it like i heard his story about child his childhood and it was awful and all this stuff and i was like i get it and i think i can help him like i think i can yeah him work through it like i got this you know and so i think that is i've i've heard it from so many people before it's so common to have that belief and again it comes down to us as women just we naturally are caretakers we're naturally nurturing and so that's one of the reasons why we get stuck in this pattern but again there's so many so many factors involved in abuse patterns whether it's emotional physical financial abuse whatever form of abuse it is it's such a different monster you know what i mean it's just it's difficult to get out of no matter what the situation is and so it's yeah there there can be a number of reasons why we get stuck in those patterns and it's important to psychoeducate yourself on the cycle or the patterns of abuse what narcissistic abuse looks like i know plenty of people who don't know what this is and that's why i'm so passionate about talking about it that's why i specialize in this area is because i know how important it is i know how it feels i went through it and it's you know what i mean it's just something that i feel needs more awareness mm-hmm. and so 
I, I, I hope I answered that or yes, <laughs> I don't know, totally. I, think I went off. No, no, yes, <laughs> okay. totally. And I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, you can have self-awareness and you can have also all the communication skills to set proper boundaries, but still once you're in this cycle, as your your needs get uh, keep getting disregarded and we respect ourselves, each other less and less every day, once we're there, how can we regain our power? Yeah. First, I want to say, like, if you're in this sort of situation, like you're being abused in any form, the number one thing would be to get support because you don't know exactly what this person is capable of. And it can, even if they were never physically violent with you, it can, it can switch to that very easily if they're already showing abuse and other forms because that lets you know they already don't respect you mm -hmm. or your boundaries and anything like that. So I think the most important thing is to get support, whether it's through friends, your family, through support groups, through therapists, like however you can get it, just get it because you know, you are not alone in the situation. Unfortunately, it is so common. It's it's so common and you know, there's definitely places to turn to for this support. Um, and then in gaining this support, I think it's really important to, again, psychoeducate yourself. What, what is abuse? What does this abuse look like? What are the signs? And once you're aware that this is what's happening, just understanding how, how to get out of the situation. And if you're working with like a therapist, there's, you know, they're going to help you come up with a plan and getting out of that situation. Um, but then it comes to, comes back down to the self and it's about rebuilding the trust in yourself. You have to learn how to trust your, your intuition again, because so often when we're in this, uh, sort of relationship or pattern, again, we disregard the self, we stop trusting ourselves because throughout it, I'm sure we have this intuition, this intuition telling us like, okay, this is not healthy. This is not a good relationship. I should not be with this person. But this person may use gaslighting and make you think like, oh, actually, like they are the perfect person. I'm just acting crazy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or whatever, whatever the situation is, there's always or not always, but there's often a lack of trust within the self that results in these relationships results from these relationships. And so working on trusting yourself again and honoring your needs, again, going back to the inner child stuff, understand how you got you know why you're in this sort of pattern has this happened before has someone treated you this way before and you allowed it or or you know recognize that as love and if that was the case working through that reparenting yourself teaching yourself what love actually is and how it should look and understanding that you know my caretaker showed me love in a way that they were able to or could you know that that was that made sense for them maybe you know maybe they were also abused as children or neglected or whatever and so we act in we act from what we know and so it's important to honor and understand that our parents acted from what they know and mm -hmm. not placing the blame on them not placing the blame on your partner because they you know they developed that way from their experience as well just, and of course, not blaming yourself, like just understanding what the situation situation is, understanding what, you know, role each person played and acknowledging that it happened and okay, 
you know, now it's time for me to get my power back, to work on myself, to not allow this kind of treatment again. Comes with boundary setting. Um, usually with when you're ending a relationship with a narcissist, they tell you to go no contact with them, such as block them on everything, get a new phone, move if you can or have to, whatever, just absolutely remove yourself from that person's life. And, you know, in it sounds harsh and it just sounds like, you know, scary that you have to completely just take off and switch your whole stuff. But that's kind of what happens when you're in a relationship with this person. And especially if they are the type of person that continues to come back and tries to find you and stuff like that. And so just, it's time for you to take matters back into your own hands, basically. And your priority is safety, finding ways to feel safe in your body again, feel safe in your environment. And if that means uprooting and going somewhere else, then that's what it means because these situations are not easy. These situations are, they can be dangerous, you know? And so I just want to prioritize support, safety in whatever form you can get it. Um, and then you can start the work within yourself, trying to understand it, educating yourself, uh, self-compassion, mindfulness, reconnecting with your spirit, reconnecting with your inner voice, you know, your intuition, just understanding that, um, you know, you may have neglected it and you, you know, because the situation that you were in was scary and confusing and you had to act in survival mode instead of listening to your inner voice, you know, but, you know, forgiving yourself for doing that and recognizing that now it's time to return to your inner voice and listen to it and just small actions to get back into your body, into yourself, build your confidence again so that you don't end up in situations like this, set some boundaries, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. If you can give us like a little, for the listeners, this play out a little, what are the signs that you're entering, that you might be entering, um, relationship because I, I saw that you wrote about love bombing kind of thing right mm -hmm. that they they make you believe that you are their soulmate um, but what other signs are there yeah so love bombing is definitely how it starts mm -hmm. um when this person comes into your life it's just the ultimate honeymoon phase like this person will ultimately match your match you they will whatever you say are your values or your interests and stuff oh my god you're joking me too you know what i mean <laughs> they will they will suddenly just have the exact same um everything as you basically and this is how love bombing starts it's this connection let's it's telling you oh my god we are soulmates we are so connected it's ridiculous like i i can't believe we share so many similarities it's all of this is to make you think that this is just your person, your absolute soulmate, because how else would you guys share so many things in common, you know, and all that stuff. And then they put you on a pedestal. They're constantly complimenting you. They're making you feel like you are just the most spectacular person in the world. And that's how they get you because who wouldn't want to feel that way? You know right? what I mean? <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so that's, that's when the connection forms and these individuals, uh, it's, it's an act, you know what I mean? They don't actually feel this way as harsh it is, as it is to say, um, they don't, they they are acting in ways that 
to get what they want. That's their ultimate goal is to have narcissistic supply, which is what, you know, the people they're in relationships with give them, they offer them that. And so um, they will often try to rush the relationship because they don't really feel that way. It may be like, okay, okay, like, let's get on with it. Like, I just, you know what I mean? They try to rush the relationship. And so they may say, may say I love you very soon, mm-hmm. like a few weeks into the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, they may um, just make grand gestures. They may try and visit you like all the time. They may suggest moving in very soon. They may suggest like even marriage, talking about your future very soon, like whatever it is, just they will insinuate that you know, I love you so much. And I think we should be together forever. And maybe we should get married and this and that they, they will try and just make it the ultimate relationship. And then once they know that they have you, um, then it kind of starts the devaluation period, where once they put you up on this pedestal, now they're slowly picking you apart. They're slowly commenting on your, your flaws or your uh, th- things that they can sense that you are insecure about they will start picking on you for because again they they are individuals who are lack um self-esteem like very low self-esteem lack of like the sense of self is just gone and so they try to ultimately project what they're feeling onto you and trying to make you feel the same way um or they just don't want to feel that way and they try to put those feelings onto you instead so that someone else is feeling them. So these, this low self-esteem, low self-worth, all that stuff. So they will be gaslighting you as, as soon as, if there's any fight in the situation, or if they do anything wrong, they will gaslight you and turn it around on you. Like, okay, I only did that because you do this. Or they may not even say, I only did this, because they don't like to admit, but if they did. <laughs> um, or they may say like, I didn't do anything. You're literally seeing things. You're crazy. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Just whatever it is, different forms of gaslighting. You'll, you'll know it when you see it, or maybe you won't until, you know, you learn what gaslighting is, but, um, it's basically just a bunch of statements that a manipulator uses to ultimately get you to question your sanity or your reality. Like, oh, he's saying he didn't do that. Did, am I actually seeing things? Like maybe I did make it up. Or, you know, maybe he isn't at fault. Maybe I did something wrong. It makes you question yourself. And so this is the narcissist's favorite little tactic is gaslighting and making you, again, lose sense of self. And so once this starts, it's a constant shift between um, mild love bombing and the devaluation. And so at periods when you're feeling like, you know, they're aware that you're going to start questioning the relationship. Like, why am I with this person? And that's when they'll come in and be like, oh my God, you are just so beautiful. You're the love of my life. I love you so much. Like, I can't wait to spend forever with you. They'll start that up again, make you think that everything is fine. The relationship's good. It was just a little bump in the road. And then it'll start again with the devaluation. Um, And it'll be that that cycle for a while until they know that you are pretty much feeling the same way they do. Like you're, you're lost with your sense of self. Mm -hmm. Like you don't trust yourself anymore. Your self-esteem is gone until you become dependent on this person. You know what I mean? That's Mm -hmm. what they want. They want your power, everything you have, they want that. And so 
once you are powerless and dependent on them, um, you probably become boring to them and they may discard you or they may cheat on you or they may whatever else, any way to, I guess, leave you. And so this is, this is one way that it happens or the person is so fed up with the, what's happening and they become aware of what's happening that they finally leave. But there's no such thing really as leaving the narcissist because they do what's called hoovering, which is they will show up either through like text, they'll call you, they'll show up at your house, at work, whatever way they can show up again in your life. I'd say maybe like a few weeks after you guys broke up just to come back and make sure you're not moving on to let mm -hmm. you know they're still there and they're going to try again. They're going to try again with the love bombing, paint this perfect picture of, I'm so sorry that that happened, but you and I are for real. Like we are, we're meant to be and whatever and get you to fall back into this pattern. And um, I think I read one time that it takes seven times seven of these cycles for the uh, victim to finally leave the relationship mm -hmm. for good so it just lets you know how powerful this kind mm -hmm. of pattern is mm -hmm. they they just they will not leave really unless you go no contact or able to cut them off completely change everything and you know and it sucks that that's the that's how it is but it you know it's kind of how it is with these types of individuals and um yeah, I'd say I, I'm trying to think of I forgot anything, but that's pretty much the basic pattern. It's just a constant dance, really. And it's difficult. It's really difficult to get out of. Again, why I'm so passionate about this work, because it's it's a different kind of dynamic, you know, mm -hmm. and so. Yeah, <laughs> at the end of the day, one thing that we can I mean, we can see that is, there's no, for narcissists, there's no real compromise or commitment. Um, and I was thinking about like now with the social media, especially the victim, let's say, feels starts feeling insecure because probably she's already in a, a narcissistic uh, di dynamics or, mm -hmm. um, or she, she, yeah, she has uh, low self-esteem and then... Um, the narcissist follows a bunch of like models or stuff like that, or does behaviors that don't align with what uh, maybe their contract or the contract of a relationship, right? And and you as a victim cannot say anything to this person because the response of this person is gonna be like, oh, I'm not doing anything wrong. There's no harm. Right. There's no harm in following these people. <laughs> I am with you, right? So mm -hmm. here is an example because I, I've encountered that with my clients that there's like this. Uh, where's the line between okay, like the demand, from, for example, from a woman, you know, like of like, hey, stop following models, and uh, mm -hmm. the and the narcissist who's gonna say, well, there's no harm in following them, right? But there's no a discussion about okay, why do you feel insecure? What can I do to make you feel better? And I believe that it's not about like what defines a healthy relationship or not, if you follow models or not, but like how you establish a contract and how you follow through the contract and how there's this accountability that narcissists don't have and make up excuses mm -hmm. to justify anything that they do. Um, and and speaking about that, I I wanted to ask you where's what's the difference between emotional abuse uh, and the narcissistic personality disorder? 
um, mm -hmm. because or how the emotional abuse is not always related to narcissism. <laughs> if you can right. you know the differences or implications. Yeah. So I guess I want to start by first saying that not everyone with um, narcissistic person personality disorder is an abuser, um, but it is common common not common enough for it to be a uh, a term now narcissistic abuse and to you know have to to see that these this is a pattern in behavior with these individuals but not every single person with NPD is going to be abusive or is going to show these behaviors in a relationship so um narcissistic abuse is essentially a combination of emotional and psychological abuse as well as spiritual abuse, sometimes physical abuse, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just a combination of it. Um, what defines narcissistic abuse is the person. If they're showing narcissistic personality disorder uh, symptoms, signs and symptoms. So if they are grand, have grandiose behaviors, they're just a, like inflated ego. You know what I mean? They're very like much into themselves. They're constantly bragging, showing off. Um, they're very competitive. No one is above them. You know what I mean? If somebody shares their good, good, whatever, like good fortunes, they just had to one up them or anything mm -hmm. like that. Um, even with their partner, they will constantly compete with their partner to show that they are the ultimate partner. Um, and uh, just the lack of empathy is also common just they they don't really regard your feelings at all they, they don't care mm -hmm. um they don't really know how to connect with people on an emotional level it's all very strategic for them and so yeah the difference between that these two forms of abuse is that the narcissistic abuse involves someone who shows clear signs or is diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder it's not commonly diagnosed. The number is way lower than it, it really is, mm -hmm. you know, statistic wise is because they don't see an issue with their behavior. So they don't get help. So, you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. it's like, um, but anyway, that's the difference there. But emotional abuse is very similar. It's um, when your partner has unrealistic expectations of you, they're very controlling. They too can use gaslighting. Um, they invalidate you they criticize you shame you all that stuff and so it does look very similar um same with psychological abuse it just comes down to the person like if your per if your partner is abusing you emotionally looking at them as a person do they are they very grandiose in their behaviors are they do they have an inflated ego are they do they lack empathy you know are they able to hold real connections with people and if they are able to hold connections with people and they do show empathy and genuine emotion, then it just lets you know that this person probably doesn't have NPD and you're just experiencing, not just experiencing, but you are experiencing emotional abuse. But um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It's important to be mindful of the difference mm -hmm. and the difference comes down to the person themselves. But narcissistic abuse can, can uh, take on, take the form of emotional, psychological, financial abuse, all that kind of stuff. Anything that takes your power away, essentially. Mm -hmm. And also for women, it's, um, they kind of protect the abuser, right? So, uh, well, mm -hmm. not only women, I guess, but any 
anyone who's in a in a relationship with these characteristics um they become part of the the game uh, so that's why it's important and it's part of my responsibility to spread the knowledge um, of what therapy can really do and especially in this in the case that we're talking about but also because um i come from an art country and i'm here in california and there's this huge like trend of psychedelics and medicine remedies um here mm -hmm. and i've seen so many people at least in my with my work that come from like abuse uh, dynamics then they go to some ceremony or psychedelics experience and they think that they're gonna be healed forever and they come to me like having done like 12 ayahuasca ceremonies and they're still like what is happening right and so that's why i, I always say like these uh, psychedelics or these external medicines or even if they come from the earth or whatever they do can help um, but it's like a massage. You have been accumulating tension in your body and you get this medicine, whatever that is, and it relieves some pain. But uh, if you don't go to the root or you don't integrate um, certain aspects, you're going to still feel, you're going to have the knot still in your back, you know? So mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, why, why is it important to count on, on a therapist to resolve these cases? Yeah, you uh, bring up an important point and... Um, I think you're referring to spiritual bypassing, um, yeah. <laughs> right? In that, that we, <laughs> that we essentially use um, spiritual practices and beliefs to disregard and kind of avoid our emotional and psychological wounds. And so, yeah, I mean, I see this a lot. And honestly, spiritual bypassing is something I recently learned about in my uh, program mm -hmm. in my mm -hmm. school. And um I am now aware of just how often I'm seeing this among clients, whether they know it or not, you know, but it's such an important uh, thing to incorporate in therapy is spirituality or religion, you know, mind, body, spirit, it's all connected. The spirit is our, the essence of ourselves. You know what I mean? It is who, really what we are. And so um, I think it's just so important to incorporate in therapy because it's, our deep sense of self and without that you know what what can we really what work can we really do without addressing our inner our real true selves and so um it's very important and especially in these dynamics you know regaining sense of self through the mind body spirit connection and to trust your inner wisdom your inner guidance all that stuff and so um, that's why I personally love to talk about it in therapy. It's so important. You can't really neglect one part of yourself and then expect true healing and wellness. You know what I mean? It's all incorporated. And so, yeah, it's, it's super important. And, um, yeah, I mean, people that aren't connected with their spirit, they often feel signs like they're empty inside you know what I mean or they feel like life has no meaning really or they're anxious and feel like incomplete and it's very common and um you know it, it comes down to spirituality like where what are your practices what are your beliefs and how how is that impacting or um I guess prolonging your your problem that you're coming into therapy for like what is the role there usually is a connection between the two, you know what I mean? And so it's not something 
I feel can be neglected again, why I felt like talk therapy was kind of limiting and why I wanted to do more because there's just, there's so much mm-hmm. involved and like, you can't just ignore your true essence in healing yourself. And so mm-hmm. I didn't say that for listeners, spiritual bypassing would be the, the tendency to use spiritual ideas, right? And practices to sidestep or to avoid facing and resolve emotional issues and psychological wounds. And, um, how you kind of talked about how we can avoid falling into it, but then how do we, um, so having this awareness around it, it's beautiful. And it's the first step as you were talking all the time, right? The self-awareness, mm-hmm. but there's also this gap between knowing and having the courage to, to take action. So for, for women who have been victims or who are victims of abuse, what message like would you give them? I mean, just understanding that, you know, you are not alone in this situation at all. There is so much support around you. And even if for some reason, if it's not the support of loved ones, like family or friends in your life, if for some reason they're not, you know, on the same page or you don't feel like you can trust them, there's so much support outside of that in the community, Um, especially in the case of like physical abuse, there's shelters to go to, there's hotlines, there's all this stuff, there's mental health support, there are so many people out there to help you. And I know how scary it can be to take that first step. And especially if you're in a, you know, dangerous dynamic like that, it can be very scary. But, you know, just trying to create a plan for yourself or within therapy um, is so important and being able to take that step having a set plan again is just so important um and just understanding that this isn't forever you know what i mean it's a temporary situation and you are so powerful and you are able to get out of this and you are able to live the life that you want and that you deserve but it's going to take some work and it's going to take that step of courage you know to uh get out of the situation because otherwise you're going to be stuck in it. It's something that's not, it doesn't just end, you know, the person doesn't just stop abusing you one day and learn to respect you. Maybe they can through very hard work, but that's typically just not the case. And so, yeah, it's just time to take your power back, put it, take it into your own hands and understand that there's so much support around you in doing so. And that, this won't last forever and that there's just so much more out there for you Mm, beautiful um and i have one last question uh which is where where can people find you yeah um let's see (laughs) so uh if they want to find me on social media they can find me on instagram at wellness period with period sid so wellness with sid with period (laughs) I think that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Other than that, I work at Sage Holistic Health and Wellness Center in Tustin, California. Um, They can look that up or our website is sagewellnessctr.org. That's, that's where I'm at. If they, if somebody's wanting to work with me, I am accepting clients in California. And so Oh, then uh, that was it. Uh, I appreciate your time and your knowledge. And I'm just really grateful that we had to talk about all these things and spread 
some wisdom and yeah i'm just thanking you appreciate you yeah i hope you enjoyed this episode if you want more content like this make sure to subscribe so you get notified when new episodes are released you can find me on instagram at inspire los angeles for more free and insightful information about mindfulness ecology and ancient wisdom if you want to dig deeper you can also check out my website inspirelosangeles.com there's free content that you can download so you can have some keys on how to live life from a more integrated and aligned space much love